0: Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini and this episode is all about a new study of medication overdosing in children. Now this is a subject that's not just for parents of special needs kids, but for all parents. So make sure you share this episode with everyone you know. The simple fact of the matter is if you are a parent of a child who has ever been sick and if you have used any kind of liquid medication, you are probably making some dosing errors whether you realize it or not because the study showed that greater than 84% of the people who participated in this report made some kind of error while measuring their child's medications. Now, joining me in this episode to talk about the subject is our friend, Dr. Patricia Schultz, who's a medical consultant in Chicago and a frequent guest on this podcast. But before we get into the subject and the study that was conducted to find out about medication overdosing in kids, I want to tell you about some important new improvements to our website. In the coming months, we're going to start adding articles and blog postings with important information that you should know. For example, in keeping with the information on this episode of Medication Overdosing, Dr. Schultz is going to write a guide on correct measuring procedures for you to use when you're measuring liquid medicines. She's also going to write other articles about medical information that you're going to want to know about. We're also going to be posting more information on other subjects, some of which we might be featuring in upcoming podcast episodes, but others may just be posted as articles on the blog on our website. Now, why is this important to you? Because if you only listen to our podcast episodes, and if you're subscribed to us using iTunes, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, Pod Directory, TuneIn, or any of the other podcast subscription services that are available, you may not find out about these articles or postings. That's why you should subscribe to our email notification service. All you have to do is go to our website, specialparentsconfidential.com, and enter your email address in the box that's marked, Subscribe to SBC via email. Then, anytime something new is posted, whether it's an article or a podcast episode, you'll get a message delivered right to your inbox the moment it becomes available online. So make sure you subscribe. In fact, Get your mobile device, your laptop, your desktop right now. Go to our website, specialparentsconfidential.com. Pause the episode right here if you have to and subscribe so you won't miss anything. Okay, now back to the topic. In October of 2016, a study was published by the American Academy of Pediatrics that showed 84.4% of parents who participated in the study made some kind of error when measuring a liquid dose of medicine. 68% of those errors were an overdose, and 20% of those errors were double the amount of medicine that was required. Now, the study is called Liquid Medication Errors and Dosing Tools, a Randomized Controlled Experiment, and we're going to post the study in its entirety on our website in a PDF form that you can download and read. It was conducted at three separate clinics in New York City, Stanford, California, and Atlanta, Georgia. One thing I want to mention also about the study, and it's important for you to know, No children were given any medicines for the research. In fact, no children were involved in any way for this study. This was only a study about how well parents were able to measure liquid medicine using standard measuring tools in a clinic setting. And when they talk about overdosing in the study, it means the parents made mistakes measuring the liquids, but at no time were children present and no children were given any of the medications during the study. Our guest, Dr. Patricia Schultz, is with us now. And Dr. Schultz, can you give us more details on the study and why it was done?
1: Well, studies have been done in the past on packaging and labels. And, of course, uh, we're always looking to improve labeling on medications and packaging to reduce the number of errors because they are a big contributor. But previously, nobody had looked at the measuring tools. And when I say measuring tools, I mean cups, syringes, measuring spoons, household measuring tools, and see what their contribution was to medication errors.
0: Wow, that surprises me that no one would have done that.
1: Well, I guess we're always trying to improve. Yeah. So what they did in this experiment, this experiment was a part of a larger study called the Safe RX for Kids study. Mm-hmm. So that's an ongoing study. And this research that was done on this one is called a randomized controlled experiment. So randomized means they had five different ways of parents either being assigned to measure with a cup, to be measuring with a uh, syringe, and they had, so they were randomly placed in five different types of measuring tools. Mm -hmm. And controlled means we had um, people who were educated who were also measuring, so they were the control group. Oh, okay. So what they did, they... They went to three different children's hospitals across the United States. One was at Stanford, one was at Bellevue, and the other one was, I believe, in Georgia. Three different children's clinics, urban pediatric clinics, both English and Spanish-speaking patients were selected. Their child had to be less than eight years old or eight, no older, and they had to have been prescribed medication. But they could not be in an emergency-type situation because that could be a distraction for proper measuring.
0: Okay, so this is like over-the-counter stuff or the things such as antibiotics for colds.
1: Right. Well, let's say, you know, you bring yours, your baby in for an ear infection and they enrolled the parents. And they, what they did after the parents agreed to the study and they met the study criteria, in other words, having a child less than or equal to 8 years old then they had the parents measure their dose of medication that they were given nine times so they had to do nine specific randomized measurements and then their accuracy was measured hmm. they were allowed a 20% error only so if if they were less than 20% off it was not considered an error oh okay if it was greater than double they called it a large error so 2100 10 parents were enrolled in this study, and 84.4% of parents made at least one dosing error. Wow. And the real shocker is 21% made at least one large error, which means they measured double what was prescribed. Oh, man. Very significant findings here.
0: Right. Now, the article mentioned that people made mistakes from using silverware for teaspoons, you know, common table silverware. And instead of actual measuring tools. Now, I did an experiment with my own, and I discovered that my silverware teaspoon holds less than an actual measured teaspoon. So it seems like there's really no common standard when it comes to silverware. How dangerous is that?
1: Well, a study in in 2014 in the journal Pediatrics, another medication study, found that 20% of parents are using household spoons to measure medication. And you're absolutely right. There is no standardization of my silverware versus yours. A teaspoon is not always a teaspoon. Could be larger, could be smaller. And it depends how much you fill it. You know, you can kind of underfill it or overfill it. So that was definitely not a good way of doing it. The use of a teaspoon tool was associated with more errors. So what they found was, you know how the -the over-the-counter pain relievers and fever reducers come with a cup?
0: Right, those little plastic cups. I was just about to ask you about those, too.
1: Okay, so they found those were the Associated with the greatest incidence of errors, because even if you go a little bit over the line, the way these cups usually flare out at the top you 're giving a whole lot more than 's prescribed
0: oh really, and if
1: you have a small child who takes only a small dose, this really becomes significant Wow so let 's say you have a you know a toddler mm-hmm. they only take you know a little bit and then you give them a slightly more that could be almost double Yikes. the amount they're supposed to receive.
0: Right. Now, you would think, though, that a cup that was, you know, made by presumably the uh, pharmaceutical company that makes the medicine, you'd think that would they would try to make sure that that was actually accurate.
1: It's accurate if you go straight to the line. But how many of us measure or know how to measure a liquid in a cup? Right. I remember my eighth grade home ec teacher going over this, where you had to put the cup on the counter and make sure that the meniscus of the milk was exactly at the line, but that really is not sound enough for medication because even a small variation in dose for a small child is a could be a potential source of toxicity.
0: Yeah, that's dangerous because uh, well, yeah, you have to eyeball it, and then if you if you're holding the measuring cup in your hand, well, how do you know you're not tipping it right a certain way?
1: And if you're not looking at it. Um, if you look at a medication cup from above or from below, you're going to see a different line that's act than is actually there. But if you look at the cup at eye level, even then, you know, 84 percent of parents made at least one error in their nine different measuring experiences.
0: That's uh, that's pretty big. Now, what about weight? I know uh, a lot of medications, such as the over counter uh, pain reliever medications, and even some cold medications. Uh, they go by the age of the child. So if uh, it says, you know, for children ages uh, 1 to 2 or 2 to 4, give this dose. For uh, children above this age, give this dose. But uh, isn't weight uh, a major portion of that? And uh, shouldn't that be considered as well?
1: Weight is generally, in medicine, the way we Prescribe medications is based on a metric weight, a kilogram weight, and so that is the most accurate way. Now, if you're talking about an over-the-counter product, they what they do is they look at the average weights of, say, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and they figure out what would be a safe dosage for all, so in the general. However, if you have a child who's way outside the curve, right? maybe they're exceptionally tall or small for their age... Or low for their weight, then those aren't really good uh, applications.
0: Right, right. Because my daughter, for example, has a couple of friends um, who are they're basically the same age, um, and she is the standard uh, weight and height for her age. She has one friend who is. Uh, almost six foot two and weighs close to one hundred and seventy. And another friend who's her age, who is probably four foot nine, maybe four foot ten, and probably under a hundred pounds. So you cannot quite give those two kids, even though they're bo- all three of them are fifteen. You can't really give those three kids the same medication dosage.
1: Not always. Not always. Now, I mean, there is a maximum when you re- when you reach a certain weight, everybody's going to take the same dose. Mm -hmm. But depending on the weight of your child, that's why it's important when you go to the pediatrician that your child be weighed at least once a year. Because And we can't rely on stated weights because parents are often inaccurate or the bathroom scale is inaccurate at home.
0: Right. Yeah, that's one thing I've learned after uh, trying to be on diets a few years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that can't be right. (laughs) When
1: you're looking at your very young children who don't weigh very much, this is even a bigger uh, concern. John, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go over the, the recommendations and the findings of this study a little bit further.
0: Oh, that'd be great, So yeah. that
1: parents will have an idea of how to approach their medication giving. So this morning I, brought, I purchased some ibuprofen liquid. Oh, okay. Okay, so comes with a cup. Um, I went to the pharmacy and I asked for a syringe, and they were willing to give me one. It doesn't have a needle on it. It's just a plastic syringe. Syringes were found to be the most accurate way of reducing errors in this study, even though there were still a significant amount of errors—25 percent—even using the syringe.
0: So let's—we uh, got to explain one more time. The syringes are those liquid—the liquid syringes that uh, you draw the medicine up into them, and then uh, you can uh, adjust it to the right amount.
1: Correct. Now, yeah, you can eject what you don't need, but you still. As I said, there were still errors, and what they're suggesting is that parents need more practice and more education. And interestingly enough, there were even more errors when For example, 2.5 milliliters of medication was prescribed or 7.5 milliliters. There were many more errors than an even number, such as 5.0 milliliters. So that's confusing.
0: Right. Is it important for parents to follow the metric measurement or is it okay to follow the uh, tablespoon and a half or that kind of thing?
1: Well study looked at that. Some parents were given a syringe that had only milliliters, which is the metric measurement. Some parents were given a syringe that had the teaspoons as well as the milliliters. And they also varied the directions. So when you get the prescription, perhaps your pediatrician writes out give three mLs three times a day. Whereas someone else might say give three MLs or one and a half or a half teaspoon three times a day. They didn't find a big difference between among syringes. So what they're suggesting, though, is a doctor mark on the syringe where the parent should be drawing the medication up to, especially for your small children.
0: So it's a good idea instead uh, that uh, patients try to get the uh, syringe?
1: They should ask for a syringe.
0: Yeah, during the appointment with the doctor then?
1: They may, will probably be referred to the pharmacy, I suspect.
0: Oh, so the pharmacist could... Yep,
1: and they're not by prescription. It's just a plastic syringe. Right. So it's not gonna be used in a in a bad way. It's not like giving an injection. But the other the other piece that the article found here is that the more of the practice the parents had, the more accurate they became. So there appears to be an element of patient education and practice. So working with your doctor, working with your pharmacist when you pick up the prescription, have them mark the syringe with a Sharpie marker, how high you're supposed to fill it.
0: Actually it helps too, I think, if if you're going to use a sharpie, make sure it's a fine point sharpie because you don't want them to you don't want to put a mark on there and there's still like maybe it could wind up being several milliliters the the width of the mark right. on the syringe you know you want to make sure it's a fine line that you can see that doesn't go above or below where it's supposed to actually be
1: well hopefully and and this should always be the case, your prescribed measurement should be labeled on the syringe right for example if you're given an order for 2.5 mLs or milliliters, there should be a marking for 2.5. You shouldn't have to guess, oh, halfway between the 2 and the 3 mL mark. That would be an incorrect type of syringe for that medication. Right. So your prescription should always have the marking on the syringe. But what they're recommending is even when you you go purchase your over-the-counter products, your cold medicines, your fever medications that are liquid, to go ask for the syringe.
0: That's a good idea. Now, sometimes there can be a philosophy that if something's good, then more of it's better, you know, especially when it comes to over-the-counter medications. I've heard many people saying that as adults. And uh, the concern to me is that for children's medications, that's the last thing you want to do.
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, everyone thinks of acetaminophen as an extremely safe product, Mm -hmm. which it is. Yeah. But acetaminophen in excessive doses beyond the prescriber's recommendation, can be toxic or perhaps even lethal. So parents do need to be careful.
0: Right. Now what about ibuprofen? Is that the same? Or?
1: Ibuprofen has a wider margin of safety than acetaminophen, but you can still take in a toxic dose. I mean, you can get in trouble with any of these medications. Allergy medicine? Right. Certainly another concern. We, we just have to be very vigilant um, as we approach You know, parents are tired, their kids are sick, they're maybe screaming in the background, there may be other children that are distracting.
0: It's two or three in the morning, maybe.
1: Right. Maybe your lighting isn't good, your glasses are in the wrong part of the house. Those are all things that we can talk about here on how to administer medication safely.
0: Definitely. Now, it's interesting. Sometimes I get onto, uh, you know, studies, reports like this, and then I'll look in the comments section or I'll look in other places on social media, or I've actually maybe even overheard this too, where some parents will say that uh, they take one particular medication for maybe headaches or colds or something like that, and they think the stuff works great for them, but the medicine doesn't have... A specific instruction for giving the dosage to a child. So, what I've heard some people say is, "Well, I just cut the pill in half, or I just you know take half the syrup and uh, figure that's safe enough." But that really isn't, is it?
1: It isn't. You know, one thing that we were stressed in, in medical school was children are not small adults. They are. They have entirely different kidney function, liver function, their age, their body weight, and actually the presence or absence of enzymes that need to develop in their in their system. break down medication is very different in fact we've probably all experienced you know you give a child a particular medication that makes you and I sleepy and they're wired because their metabolism is entirely different so it's always best to check with your physician before you give your child an adult medication another concern some of those are alcohol-based and how many of us want our kids consuming alcohol
0: yeah because it is the same kind of alcohol that you would have if you were having a glass of scotch or a glass of gin, right?
1: And it actually can be a, a fairly high percentage in those preparations,
0: right? Because it's higher proof, more it's more purified, so the, right, it's a stronger stronger percentage.
1: So I always say, when in doubt, please check with your your physician.
0: I can imagine. Let's talk for a second about uh, homeopathic and natural medications. Now, a lot of people are going to see this study as vindication that pharmaceutical medications are dangerous and that homeopathic natural medications are safe. And I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, the homeopathic medications are natural, they're perfectly safe, and they have no side effects. But that's not true, is it?
1: No, it isn't. In fact, many people don't realize that the way drug companies develop new medications... Is they go to the Amazon and talk to the medicine man mm. who pulls out some leaves and some, some bark, and that's how pharmaceutical companies develop medications. So sometimes when you're taking these natural supplements, they're actually the same active ingredient as a prescription. Mm-hmm. But the big problem is that the pharmaceutical industry is very regulated in terms of the quantity of the active ingredient, the purity how well it disintegrates, how well it becomes active in the human body. But the s- supplement industry is not subject to the same standards mm-hmm. as the pharmaceutical industry. So many studies you, c- you can read commonly, even in Consumer Report, where they'll take 15 different brands of a common supplement. Some have too much, more than their stated amount. Some didn't have any. So it's, a- it's an industry that has largely run unregulated. Recently there have been in the last, I shouldn't say recent, the last 20 years or so let's say, there have been a few certifying organizations that have come about and they will take these supplements and measure them in their own lab for purity, for quantity, for how well they disintegrate Mm -hmm. and they will then verify that this is a supplement that contains what it's supposed to. Right. The one that you're probably most familiar with is USP. The United States Pharmacopeia. So some of your supplements will say on the label USP verified. Oh, okay. That means that this United States Pharmacopeia has taken the supplement, analyzed it for contamination, for ingredient quantity, and for the ability to disintegrate, and found it acceptable within the standards that have been set for it. Yeah, that's good. But, you know, not all companies want to pay for those analysis to be done. So just because your supplement manufacturer doesn't have that verification doesn't mean it didn't pass. It just means that they didn't pay to have that analysis done. So this is a very, very tricky industry.
0: Yeah. Well, it cuts into profits when they do stuff like that.
1: Well, and, and it would drive the cost up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also, if you have to become a prescription product, my goodness, the, you have to have animal studies, human studies. There's a lot of paperwork. Oh, yeah. It would, you know, drive up costs tremendously.
0: Yeah. I think a research chemist friend of ours or uh, who used to do research chemistry and told me once that uh, it costs, on average, a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars to get all the certification from the FDA before you can even begin to do human trials.
1: Oh, I believe it. I believe it. So I don't want to knock supplements. I think they do have their place. hmm but even for me personally as a parent, it's hard for me to walk into a store and pick something out because I don't know if it's accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it really contains what it says it does. So that's a very tricky subject. And I try and work with my pediatrician on this as much as possible.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, I I remember you once saying that uh, you look at some of these vitamin supplements and uh, the dosage is like 4,000, 10,000 times more than the recommended daily allowance. Right. For and that's that's way off the charts. It's overdosing. way and I
1: don't I don't understand the reasoning of that.
0: No. Well, the you know the old idea that if something's good then lots of it is really good, but that that's a little on the that's a dangerous territory I think, isn't it? Yeah,
1: and you know many people will buy these for themselves, they might give them to their children, thinking they're doing a good thing by giving them something natural. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's even been reports recently of natural, so-called natural weight loss supplements that actually contain prescription ingredients mixed into them. Jeez. So there's, you got to be so careful. But again, I, I wish I could offer your audience a concrete method of choosing supplements. But that is something that even I as a parent have not really figured out.
0: Right. You just have to be very careful and look for that. You have to
1: be very, work Work with your doctor.
0: Right. Do the research. Educate
1: yourself on the you know, recommended amount of particular supplements your child might need. You know, let's say your child's a vegetarian and they don't drink eat any dairy, you know, you may have to supplement with calcium. Well work with your pediatrician to find out how much calcium should I be giving my child per day.
0: Right, and what source.
1: And what source. And where's the best place to buy it? What's the best brand to give them? Rather than trying to go on guessing by the label and guessing by consumer reviews, which may or may not be helpful because they haven't analyzed what's in the stuff.
0: Right. And the pediatrician has access to uh, more in-depth research that's from uh, uh, much better qualified sources.
1: The other, the other person who's really good at this is a nutritionist. Ah, okay. They, they may be able to suggest, for example, for the child who's vegetarian, they may be able to tell the parent other foods that, have, that are calcium rich, that are not, you know, outside of their lifestyle. So, you know, working with your professionals is always advised. I once knew a pregnant woman who um, really loved her chiropractor, and I love chiropractors too, but in this particular case, the chiropractor sold her a, a, a vitamin supplement, and she ended up with a very unusual type of kidney stone while she was pregnant, and it turned out to be an ingredient from the vitamin that caused it. Oh, geez. So, she had to go through surgery. I mean, while pregnant, nobody wants to do that.
0: No yeah and that's yeah, and the kidney stones are bad enough, but to have one when you're pregnant, my gosh
1: right, and to have to undergo anesthetic, and you know that's not not something any of us want to do while we're pregnant right or even non pregnant for that matter
0: right, and this is not a knock against chiropractors either it's just in this particular case the the person who recommended the supplement didn't do the research
1: well, I don't even know if that item was listed on the ingredient list of the vitamin i'm not i don't I'm not privy to those details but when they analyzed the kidney stone, it was not something normally found in the human diet, and it was in the supplement.
0: Wow. Well, that's the problem. You're looking at a supplement, and you don't really know if what the label says is in there or is in there because it's not regulated. Right.
1: And I'm sure the chiropractor recommended it on very with a good heart. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But we just don't always know what's contained. Extra stuff is put in that's really more of a contaminant in some supplements.
0: Right, so uh, maybe we should review again. What are the safest procedures then to make sure that parents are giving their kids the right dosage of their medications?
1: I always tell all parents, you really should have a one-on-one, name-based relationship with a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. So, I recommend, if you can, if it's convenient, to fill your medications at the same pharmacy each time. Mm-hmm. And when you get a new prescription, ask. You know, they always offer you a consultation with the pharmacist. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea to take them up on it and say, show me on the syringe how much I should be giving exactly. And that, in this particular study, was shown to reduce errors. So, and using your syringe instead of your cup. So that's the first step I would take is education by your physician or more likely your pharmacist or your physician's nurse because they're really good at administering medication. When you get home, there's a few steps that I always do as a parent. And the first one is to mark down in a little notebook what time and what dose you gave every single medication. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, when you have a sick child, how well are you remembering? Was that at 2 a.m.? Was that at 4 a.m.? You know, it's very easy to get mixed up Was that last night or the night before or was that this morning. You know, fatigue can really take its toll. Oh, yeah. So marking down each dose. The second piece there is making sure that you're drawing up the medication in a syringe in very good lighting and holding the syringe up at eye level to check your amount. So you basically, you'd be pointing your syringe in the air to make sure you have just the right amount drawn up. And the next thing is, well, we know very few children love taking medication. I haven't met one yet. Right. Sometimes you kind of got to sneak it in drop by drop by drop. Because parents who try and squirt it all in, what happens?
0: They spit it right back out.
1: <laughs> they, you wear it on your shirt, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you don't know how much do they get? Should I give more? It can be, or they get upset and they vomit the medication up because they're so upset. Right. So as parents, we need to really put on our kid gloves, so to speak. Take the time. You might just give a little bit of it now, wait a few minutes, give a little bit more, offer a lot of rewards for taking medication. I'm all about reward um, and making this as pleasant an experience as possible for your child, and that way they're likely to take the full dose without you having to guess how much should I give since they spit some out because again that's an, an a risk for either underdosing or overdosing
0: well yeah, definitely because if they've spit it out or a portion of it didn't get in, then how do you know what they got and it's you, don't. you do not want to give you don't want to overdose them by giving them another full dose. Correct. Yeah, and that going back to the writing that down, that is a great idea because I know, especially when you're using an over the counter such as your children's Tylenol or your children's Motrin or something like that, where it says give them one dose every six to eight hours. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? You know, when when was that? Was ten thirty or was it eight thirty? Because and <laughs>
1: oftentimes they will they will state. No more than so many times in 24 hours.
0: Right, right.
1: And you really don't want to exceed those those recommendations. Those, those, are, those labels are carefully reviewed by the FDA, and they are there for patient safety. Now, there are occasions where your doctor may tell you to take a different dose than is written on the bottle. But in that case, make sure that is written down for you so there's no mistake if there's a, a deviation from... The listed amount.
0: Right. Write it down and make sure you uh, write down the times that you're doing it as well, because it's probably going to be different times for those. Different
1: two. times or, or I know myself, I've had two kids on fever medication at the same time. And boy, is that confusing. Oh, yeah. So uh, having, I always recommend whether an adult or a child, write every single dose down. You'll have so much peace of mind knowing that you have done this properly. Now, when I teach nursing students, to give medication, we have, we have a rule, not just my rule, it's an industry rule, of three label checks. So the first time when you pull the medication off your counter, you check your label. Make sure you've got the right child. If you have more than one who's ill, make sure you have the medication that you intended to give. Maybe they're on an antibiotic and a pain reliever. You know, there may be two or more medications. Make sure you've got the one that you intended. So that's their first label check. The second label check occurs after you measure out the medication. You actually check your label once again before you give it to the child. And the third label check is when you put the medication back where you are storing it. So three label checks will give you a lot of peace of mind. It's kind of like checking to make sure your curling iron is turned off or your stove is off before you leave the house. If you check more than once, you feel very certain.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, and you can, and like you said, you can be rotating different medications with different dosages at different times, even over the counter. We had a situation a few years ago where one of our children had a really bad fever, and the doctor was having us rotate every three hours ibuprofen at this dosage or acetaminophen at this dosage. And so we had to go back and forth between the two and keep track of, you know, exactly when each one was given. So that can, be, that can be very complicated.
1: Like it's very confusing, very fast. Well, it's a great, you know, if your child's really sick, it's the right thing to do, but you have to make sure you can do it in a safe manner. So it's, it's really, really critical for them getting better and not getting worse, where you have to worry about an overdosage. And most of the children in this study, the dosing years were overdosage, not under.
0: Almost double.
1: Yeah, some were 20% had almost double the recommended, uh, the prescribed amount.
0: Right. And then we're worried uh, as kids get older, you know, they start getting into uh, other medicines, you know, and they're always talking about teen prescription drug epidemics. And, you know, unfortunately, some of that may have started here with overdosing errors at a young age.
1: Well, we we certainly want to keep things safe for our children while as long as they're under our control Mm -hmm. and hope for the best in those teen years. Certainly.
0: Right, right. Now, um, finally, to wrap this up, what would you say to a parent uh, who up till now has not been concerned probably with the accuracy of measuring their children's medications because, well, you know, I've never had any bad reactions or problems. Um, What would you say about something like that?
1: Well, I would certainly say I'm glad you haven't had any bad reactions, but knowledge is always power, and I think this is something that we all need to be aware of as parents, especially of young children. It's... uh, significant concern. Yeah,
0: definitely. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, sometimes these overdoses can be beyond um, more than just a little dangerous. They can wind up having to go to the hospital or cause all kinds of other problems.
1: And and overdosing may not show right now, but it can be cumulative. Mm -hmm. You keep giving the higher dose, then the liver starts to feel it. You're not going to see it on your child's face. So we can't tell. That's the thing. We cannot tell in many cases. By, by the appearance of the child that we've given too much.
0: Right. Long-term effects, though, can be very dangerous.
1: Long-term, yes. Especially some medications have a very small window of safety versus toxicity.
0: Right. So definitely follow those instructions to the letter, and if there's ever any questions, talk to the doctor, talk to the pharmacist, get it all as accurately as possible.
1: And we've, you and I have spoken in the past. The relationship you have with your child's doctor is so important. You have to have a doctor that you can talk to, that you can express your concerns to, who's willing to address your questions without making you feel foolish. And if you don't have that kind of relationship, I recommend continuing to search for it.
0: My thanks again to our friend, Dr. Patricia Schultz, for taking the time to fully explain the importance of correctly measuring a child's medicine. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Dr. Schultz is writing a step-by-step guide on correctly measuring medicines, which we will be adding as a separate posting on her website. And she'll also be writing other articles in the near future. So make sure you sign up for our email list and you'll get that guide and all the other articles she writes delivered directly to your inbox the moment they're posted. And as we always do at this point, remember that if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential or any episode that we've done, please be sure to share us with everyone you know on your favorite social media sites. We have some handy sharing buttons available on specialparentsconfidential.com to make it easier for you to do. The more you can help spread the word about our podcast, the more it'll help us to be able to continue doing these episodes. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.